Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Northern Lights. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Abigail Irizuru. She's a British athlete, a GB Olympian. She's also an Olympic finalist. Started was uh, in 2008. She was the Commonwealth Youth Games champion and got a gold. Uh, she went, then went on to various other international athletics events, very successful. However, in 2016, she retired. She then came back in 2018 and then went on to become a finalist at the uh, Tokyo Olympics. Uh, she's also uh, a speaker, a coach, a businesswoman, a podcaster. She has a podcast called Define Your Success. She's a blogger, and I've read quite a lot of her blogs. They are so, so interesting. And she's also a woman of God. Uh, welcome, Abigail, and thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me on here. And I love the introduction. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and I could have gone on. I mean, that's just the summary, but there's so much more. Um, I was reflecting on how to start this podcast, and I thought we'd start with a quote, which I hadn't come across, but I, I know you've used it in places, which is, um, I think it's a Nigerian quote, which is, clap for yourself. Could you just <laughs> tell us what that means and, and how, how that came about? Absolutely. I don't know whether it's Nigerian or African or yeah. just our cultural thing, but it feels it's something that the older generations, my aunties, my uncles, my mum would say to me when I was younger or they say to young people. And it's essentially just like if you're doing something good or if it's something fun or interesting, clap for yourself. Just applaud yourself because you deserve to. So it's kind of like patting yourself on the back. But it's just a different way of saying it, I guess. Yeah. And do, do you do that? Do you use that yourself? <laughs> I strive to, for sure. Uh, I'll do it in the small things, like uh, after training, in my training journal, I'll have, uh, you know, what went well. So that's kind of a clap for myself moment, as well as because critiquing comes very naturally to me. So I do have to strive to clap for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, one of the th when I was sort of reflecting on some of the journey that you've been on to date, um, it, I mean, it's fascinating. I, I guess the, the thing that was intriguing more than anything else was um, how, you th how, you, how, you, how you went into athletics, given your early interest in law. You know, how, how did you think that through and what, what, what inspired you, firstly, to go into law? And then secondly, how did you then pivot from that into athletics? I feel like I have always been interested in law. Uh, it's something that I wanted to do from the age of around eight years old. Uh, because in Nigerian culture, you're either a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer or a failure. So those were the four options. <laughs> and I've always wanted to go into law. In my first year of university, all the way back in 2008, I actually had the opportunity to represent England at the Commonwealth Youth Games. And that, were, that, ha that took place one week after Freshers' Fortnight. So I, wasn't, yeah. I was only in university for two and a half weeks. And suddenly I was flying across to India for two or three weeks to compete and represent my country. And so I feel like that was the pivot. It just became something that sort of took over my life a little bit. And it meant that my passion for law, although still there, I feel like the passion for athletics and the fact that it's something that you can't delay overrode all of <laughs> all of everything that I was doing in law at the time anyway. 
And and then when you, I mean, it's interesting. You were talking about engineers and doctors um, because you know, from my background as a as a, a you know someone whose parents were from Pakistan, it was pretty much the same thing. You know, I, I moved into engineering, and I remember having a conversation with my mum where I sort of said to her, and I got a job, and I said, you know what, I'm going to totally change my career. I'm going to stop. I'm going to pack in my job, and I'm going to move into uh, uh, go and work for a different type of company in a different organization. I remember the, the the point of view she said. She said, "Why would you do that? Why would you take a risk?" So just just reflecting on some of that, uh, Abigail, do do you feel like you've had have you had similar conversations with with your family when you decided to you know pursue your career in different ways, or was it a very natural evolution for you? Because I, I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of so certainly people with my sort of background, we we like economic certainty and we don't like risk. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a risk to go out on a limb and to follow dreams that maybe don't have a very like coherent path. I feel like to be a lawyer, it's you attend university, you get your training contract if you want to be a solicitor or you... Um, you go, you do your mini pupillages or you, and then you go do your pupillage if you want to be a barrister. So there's a, a very set route, I think, for athletics or for sports in general. You have to have that breakthrough moment. As much as you say, I'm going to train really hard, sometimes the break doesn't happen. Sometimes injuries happen and setbacks. So it is a big risk. And I think that my mum, my dad, they have always been quite fearful and nervous for me because they've seen me go through the, the highs and the lows of the sport. And their continual question is, oh, so when are you going to go back into law? <laughs> and, uh, you know, wh when are you going to retire from athletics? <laughs> so they are on board for sure. But they also, they're also keen for me to do something else as well. <laughs> Um, Abigail, um, one of the things I'm, I'm fascinated about, and I just wanted to sort of go back a bit, actually, in a few uh, backgrounds. So you, your background is in uh, around the Manchester area. Um, you you edu you were educated here. You went on your athletics journey here. Can you just tell me about the influences you had as you were growing up? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a Mancunian. <laughs> I was born and bred in Manchester. And I absolutely love my city, my family and my faith, I would say, are two things that are at the heart of who I am and what I do. So speaking of my family, we spent a lot of time together. We still do. So I've got a, a big extended family. When I was growing up, I was probably always chasing after my older brother, who was about a year and a bit older than me. Together with the family, cousins, siblings, we would climb trees in the park. We would um, go rollerblading in the streets, but we'd also have very structured extracurricular activities that we would do together as well. And on a Sunday, it culminated in after church, of course, in the morning, we'd then go to my grandma's house and we would have her lovely rice stew and chicken and then go play in the park in the fields throughout the whole afternoon. Um, in terms of influence, I would just say, faith and family I don't know whether there's a specific quote or anything like that that really impacted me but I just feel as though it is that feeling of knowing that I'll never be alone knowing that I'll never be alone because of God but also knowing that I'll never be alone because my family are yeah. literally by my side and, and stick with me all the time 
that, that leads me to quite neatly to a, a quote of, of yours, uh, um, which is, if I didn't have my faith in God, then I wouldn't be competing today. Could you, could you elaborate on that? Because that's a very specific recognition of faith in your life. So I feel that I have, I don't know where it comes from, but I don't attach myself to things too deeply. Like I'm okay to let things go. And so when I did retire in 2016, although it was genuinely heart-wrenching and I felt like I was really, truly grieving a loss, I felt okay with that because I felt that I had given everything that I could to the sport. It was my second attempt at an Olympic Games 2012. I missed out due to um, not being selected and, you know, being considered probably a bit too young and inexperienced to be able to perform and get to the final and get a medal. And then in 2016, I've sacrificed everything. I've moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and I absolutely loved it. Training there was going so well. And in my first competition of the, of the year, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. I did win the competition. I jumped really, really far, <laughs> but I also ruptured my Achilles. And that is not a surgery, or that's not an injury that is easy to bounce back from. It also meant that even if it was, you know, a small injury, it, I mean, it meant that I basically would not be able to attend the Rio Games. And that was my second time around. I knew there's four more years going towards the next Olympics. And so I felt like that was a reasonable point for me to say, I've given everything, stop now. But what brought me back to athletics was the feeling that, that actually there was unfinished business and that actually my calling was in that to motivate, to inspire others but also to nurture the gift that God has given me to jump far. And I felt that I would do myself and God a disservice to not see that through to, to the end. And, uh, you know, I'm so thankful that I did. I'm so thankful that I, I came back to the sport because genuinely there was a little bit of a fighting. I did pray over it. I spoke with um, some good friends about it and it, it felt like, as much as it is so beautiful, there's so many great highs. I knew the pain of the lows. I know the pain, like not even just the physical pain, it's the emotional, the mental, the spiritual pain that you have to deal with when you're facing the injuries, when you're not getting on the team, when there's just one thing after another that you're thinking. I always say, if I put this much effort into any other aspect of my life, into my studies, into work, there's no way I would be failing. And yet with athletics, <laughs> there's so many yeah. factors that feel that are outside of your control but ge god genuinely had to drag me back kicking and screaming a little bit but i'm so glad that he did <laughs> and, and one of the things i think that comes across very strongly is your positivity uh, both in your blogs and actually listening listening to you now um one of the things that i find fascinating about olympics is this concept of winning versus personal best um and I've read, you know, certain areas where you're aspiring to win and within the context of getting a personal best. Are you able to explain those two sort of aspects of success? Because a lot of the times, you know, we, we don't often have personal bests outside of athletics. You know, we, we compete, we, we win something. We, you know, do you see the definition of success isn't a combination of personal best versus winning? I don't know if I've asked that question properly. I think I understand what you mean um, because, okay, so for me, when it comes to winning, <laughs> the, 
yes as to be an olympian you definitely have to have a mindset that is a little bit crazy because you have to believe that you will be at the top of that podium despite what the uh, you know the re objective results in front of you may say because you know what training you've done you know what's in your legs you know the the work that you've put in and so even though potentially the performances don't illustrate how far you can jump you know that it could come and it could come at that right moment and once you're in the final anything can happen so i think every single person that lines up on a start line thinks that they can win that event people often say you know when you say bolt would, was competing people were racing for second but trust me there were athletes on the start of that line that were still thinking today is the day i'm going to beat usain bolt and many listeners would, would hear that and think that's absolutely insane he's the world's fastest man ever to live. And yet there would be people that would line up and they have to go there with that confidence, you may call it even arrogance, to turn up and say, I am gonna win today. I feel like that's the winner's mindset. But then there's also that personal best mindset that is probably more of a, okay, I'm gonna be content. I am not going to allow this performance to be my identity. And I'm just gonna go out here and give it my all. And if I can come out here, and jump a personal best or a season's best or do more than I have done before, then I've laid it all out on the track, I've left it on the track, I've left it in the sandpit, and there's nothing else that I could give. So that even if I don't come away with a medal, I've still come away with something intrin of intrinsic value that says to me and my team, yeah, you've done good. Abigail, one one of the I mean that's fascinating. One of the things you you went on to do was to become a finalist at the Tokyo Olympics, which is such a tremendous achievement. And I guess what I'd be fascinated to know, uh, understand is how do you get yourself ready for an Olympic final? And I've heard references to this sort of phrase uh, flow flow state. Uh, does that have a role to play? And is that something you 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 get ready for? So could you just talk to how you get how you got yourself ready for the final, and then if it's if it's appropriate, you know, how does one get into this flow state that I've, I've seen referenced a number of times on uh, sort of athletics uh, uh, write-ups? Yes, absolutely. So I feel super honoured to have been able to make an Olympic team and then to actually get myself into the final. That was that's an incredible accomplishment, and I'm actually so thankful for that. Um, preparing for I feel that, of course, I feel like my preparation for the qualifying round was probably superior to my preparation for the final round because to get into the final, I actually jumped to season's best of six meters and 75 centimeters. And when I actually got into the final, I felt that there was an underperformance and you know, there's probably nerves that got the better of me. There were other things in terms of my runway so physically we know that the track was an incredibly fast track and I think that actually knocked me off my rhythm there were other girls as well and who were struggling with their runway but unfortunately it just meant that I wasn't able to produce the distances that I needed to you know do myself justice there in terms of the preparation for that though I do a lot of visualization and breathing as well. So just slow, deep breathing. So the intentional breathing and try to create the pictures of what I want to do. So at the start of the runway, how I want to feel. 
I'll also use words maybe to anchor me as well. So at the top of the runway, what do I want to feel? And um, when I'm in the stadium, what is the word that I want to feel? Oftentimes, the word associated with the Olympics is overwhelm. So I wanted to challenge that word for myself. And I, I think my, my word, I've, I've actually forgotten now, but I think the word was just enjoyment as well, because sometimes I can, I can be so in my head that I forget to be there, to forget to be in the moment and I leave a competition and I've missed it and I wanted to take it all in. And I think I did that very, very well in the qualifying, but I do think that overwhelm took over a little bit in the, in the final. Abigail, just, just reflecting on what you've just said, um, I mean, I'm fascinated by this sort of using particular words or themes to focus the mind uh, to achieve a particular, particular outcome. Um, is, is that something that you've always done? Or is that, is, I mean, is that like a, a something, so you, you've got a particular word that gives you focus and that helps you become your best. Is, is, is that part of your, your, your preparation for all key, key, uh, key, key uh, uh, athletics uh, competitions? Absolutely. It's part of my preparation for key athletics competitions. It's part of my preparation for anything that makes me feel nervous. So when I'm giving a talk or doing a podcast, then there'll maybe be a particular word that helps me to anchor me. And um, if I'm feeling fearful, then I'll challenge that with a different word. So you basically picture who you want to be and what you want to do and how you want to make others feel in that moment. And then you you attach a word to that. Uh, and so that then becomes a feeling that when maybe you're drifting a little bit far off it, then you can come back It's kind of a centering principle. And it's something that I actually discovered, uh, read, learned about back in October, 2014, when I moved to Phoenix in Arizona and uh, started learning more about NLP and mindset and the impact that that has on performance. Mm -hmm. And that kind of goes back to your point about flow and the fact that you see a lot of athletes talk about that. But that's a concept that relates to athletes, performers, musicians, people that are working and get into this, this rhythm, this flow state where you may be standing beside them, but they don't even notice you because they're so deep within their work. And, and those who are, want to achieve mastery, who have uh, you know they're practicing every day at something whether it's the piano whether it's writing whatever it is you'll mm -hmm. often see that that is a flow state that they're in when they're they're doing something to this high level and that's always something that I'm trying to aim for and that's why I do the breathing that's why I do the visualization and have the affirmations and the keywords to anchor to yeah no I understand I understand um that's really helpful thank you I one of the things that I, I guess um just leading on from you know the uh, leading on from the most recent olympics the tokyo olympics um in terms of getting ready for for the next one is that something you're now focused on or i mean how do you how do you move from one set of olympics to another you know and keep the motivation going give it the competition keep the the willpower how do you how do you keep it going because it's not like there's one every you know, yeah, it's like, you know, it's every four years, you, you, that's quite a long time to be getting ready for something. How do you get yourself mentally in the right place so that your motivation lasts for the three and a half years or whatever that you need to focus on the next Olympics? That is a great question. 
but um, thankfully it's three years away because of the, uh, <laughs> the yes. postponement of the Tokyo Games. And um, I actually watched something on this subject um, the other day, and it's called The Weight of Gold. It is something that was directed and produced by Michael Phelps. I think he's the most decorated or one of the most decorated Olympians in history. And he talks about the challenges, the mental health challenges of going through each Olympic cycle. And he's joined by many other Olympic athletes, maybe mainly Team USA athletes from the, Olymp- from the summer and the winter games. So I would definitely, if someone's interested in learning more about that mental side of the game, definitely ch- uh, try to find that film because it literally articulates every single thing. It gives voice to every single thing that an athlete feels post-Olympics. The Olympic blues is very real. You know, a lot of athletes go into kind of like this little bit of a depressive cycle. And it's it's actually, you know, it's, it's quite sad because you, like you said, you're preparing for something for four years and then you're there. And it's sometimes can be quite anticlimactic, especially if you don't achieve what you want to. And then you have to then do it all over again. So, so look. If we were to finish off with a, with a couple of questions, if I may, um, and I normally ask these questions, um, you and normally, you know, they're not Olympic athletes, so it, this may actually be quite a, 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 a question you you do with every day, which is actually, what does your what does your daily routine look like for you to be at your best? And I suspect this is not. Sort of brand new question to you. It's based on this conversation. I suspect it's something that you've uh, you focused on. My daily routine starts the night before, so making sure that I have figured out at what time I need to get up. So if I need to get up at seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning, then I have to make sure that I'm getting at least nine hours of sleep. So then I work the clock back and make sure I get into bed at the right time. Monday. Wednesday and Friday are my big days at the track. So I'll be at the track from around 9, 9.30 a.m. Um, until uh, 4, 4.30, some 4, 4.30 p.m. ish on Monday and Friday and um, probably 3.30 on a Wednesday. Tuesday and Thursday are my lighter days. So I'll go in for, let's say, the rehab recovery stuff, physio, massage, like a larger hit of that. And um, on a Monday evening, let's, and maybe I'll do a bit of studying because I'm currently studying a course at the moment. On a Tuesday evening or on a Tuesday, I'll do study for the rest of the day that I'm not at the track. And then um, there's other things going on. But essentially, my calendar is kind of zoned in on athletics is always booked up like that that time that space in my diary i think many of us if we could even get one year medium days we'd be we'd be very very happy uh, once in a while but that's very very interesting um, um abigail let me thank you very much for your time i know you're training i know you're overseas at the moment um so you you've sort of very kindly uh, found some time for us to to meet um thank you very much and i wish you great success with all your preparations great success you know in your upcoming uh, uh, competitions and we'll definitely be looking out for you uh, thank you very much everyone for listening i hope you found that interesting i certainly found it very useful uh, inspiring some 
tools and techniques that I'll be taking with me into my own life. Uh, thank you very much for listening and please do subscribe and I look forward to sharing future podcasts with you.